say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh man, do we have a great show for you. <clears throat> I, I want to tell you something that I spoke to my college students in my culture and diversity class uh, several years ago when I was teaching uh, C&D. And I would tell them, if you want to enhance your career, elevate your ability as a speaker. Be able to speak in front of more people. If you want to level up in your career and you're going, well, how can I make more money in my career? Become a better speaker. It's, it is, it is the, I'm not saying it's simple, but is it, it is an easy add on. If you're willing to do as, as my guest is going to say, Gabe, uh, Zickerman, as he's going to say, it's an easy add on. If you're willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it is a great add on for your career. And here's the beauty about his book, the aha method. Maybe I should say this, the aha method, because there's an exclamation point there. Uh, Here's the beauty. This book, in my opinion, and I've had people who've talked about public speaking before. I am a professional public speaker, just like my uh, friend Gabe is. And here's the thing I'm going to tell you. This book, in my opinion, is the most comprehensive guide to public speaking in all forms, whether it is to become a professional speaker, whether you want to make a better sales pitch, whether you want to lead a better meeting, or you just want to be better in person. This is the comprehensive guide. The comprehensive guide right here. Do not, don't, you don't have to look anywhere else. He has hit it all. And by the way, the detail in this book is so amazing that literally, and you know me, I'm a psychological professional. I love talking about cognitive biases. This guy not only points them out, he tells you how to use them to your advantage. And we're probably going to get into a few of those today. All right, before we get to Gabe, because I know you're all excited, right? Before we get to him, this is what we do. You know, every week we talk about how are you doing in the four areas of your life, right? We're four-part people, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. Right. And, and the fact of the matter is if we're not growing, we're dying because we never stay static. Right. By the way, Gabe will tell you that, you know what, physically, there is some conditioning involved when you want to be a better speaker. You have got to take care of your body. You got to get, here's some ideas. So scale of one to 10, how would you value yourself this way? Physically, uh, exercise, eating right, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water. Oh, by the way, you want to improve yourself as a public speaker? All four of those things are good. So a scale of 1 to 10, 5 being average, how would you say you're doing there? Now look, whatever your number is for each one of these scales on a scale of 1 to 10, don't get alarmed. I'm not trying to, you know, nobody's trying to go, oh my God, you're only a 2. No, no, no. I'm a 2. How do I get to myself to 2.5? Not a 10. I just want to get myself a little bit better, right? Because if you could do 1% a day, by the way, 72 days, you're 100%. Or something like that, some number, some weird number, maybe it's number 26. I don't even know where this anymore. Right? So, first number. Second number is your intellectual mental number. 
right? You cannot have a book like this and go, if I put it up against my head, somehow I'm going to absorb the information. You actually have to get in there, dig into it, read it. It's what you have to do. You have to be an active participant in your mental growth and knowledge and wisdom in your job, in your career, in your life. You have to be that active participant. On a scale of 1 to 10, how well are you doing in growing in your knowledge and understanding and wisdom when it comes to your career and your life? All right? Five being average. Okay? It's two numbers. Third number, emotional number. Gabe talks about it again. Right? says, listen, you're going to have to have empathy for your audience, which is part of your emotional number. Because the first part is, how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure? By the way, if you're going to speak in public, you better learn how to control your emotions under stress and pressure. Because not everything is going to go your way. Uh, Gabe and I can tell you that we've gone in front of audiences, we've had everything prepared, everything seems right, and then I was in Vegas, I'll never forget it, I'm in Vegas, and they have the, the thumb drive, everything is working, and then they go, by the way, we're out, we can't work the thumb drive for your presentation. And I was like, okay, you know what, I don't need to have, I don't need to have videos, because you know why? I don't need the slide presentation, because I can describe verbally what I'm doing. And you move on. Guess what? You got to have emotional control. The second part of that though, is how well you're able to tap into and understand the emotions of other people. By the way, you don't think that's important when you're speaking to people in public? It's called empathy. Read your audience, right? That's all part of emotional, right? So on a scale of one to 10, how would you say you're doing emotionally? Controlling your emotions under pressure and reading and being able to read and understand others. Okay, this third number, fourth number. That's a spiritual number. By the way, we all want to connect with each other spiritually. It's part of our connection to each other. There's a spiritual connection that goes beyond the mental, the emotional, and the physical. We have a spiritual connection where we connect to one another. When you're speaking in front of people, there is a spiritual thing that happens between us where we are connected, right? And you, there is no other explanation. But the fact of the matter is we all live by faith, by the way. You drank your cup of coffee, believed it wasn't poisonous. You pushed your button on your car, believed it was going to start. You made plans for the future, believing they're going to happen. You went across the crosswalk when it said walk, believing nobody was going to hit you. We all live by faith every single day. By the way, we just do. We have a human spirit that wants and desires to connect to others beyond our physical self, right? The fact is we're spiritual. And by the way, what brings you back to centeredness in the midst of your chaos? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it meditation? Is it something else? And is it working? <laughs> right so on a scale of 1 to 10 how would you say that's going for you those four areas are like the air in a tire your car if one of the tires is too low what happens oh it's harder to steer the car if all four tires are low over time you're, the car's just not going to survive so we want to bring him up to the right height. And speaking of somebody who does that, his name is Gabe Zuckerman. He is an entrepreneur, author, investor, and leader whose books, speeches, and workshops focus on gamification, behavioral design. He spoke at companies such as Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon. He's, they, they've adopted Gabe's theories and practices, leading to significant revenue increases over time. He's a frequent keynote speaker and speaking coach. He's helped hundreds, if not thousands, of successful entrepreneurs, executives, and celebrities communicate beautifully in all settings. His new book is The Aha 
method, <laughs> communicating powerfully in a time of distraction. You can learn more by going to GabeZikerman.com. That's G-A-B-E-Z-I-C-H-E-R-M-A-N-N.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. Welcome to the first time ever, Gabe Zikerman. Welcome to A New Direction, Gabe. Thanks, Jay. I'm excited to be here and honestly um, thrilled by your energy. Your energy never ceases to excite me. <laughs> well, good. Uh, well, I'm energized because the book's energizing. All right. Thank you. So uh, let's just start chapter one. What to expect and uh, when you're expected to speak beautifully <laughs> is uh, mm-hmm. is the title of chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about speaking because yeah. we, when when I I don't think we think about improving our speaking ability as part of our career and how that can yeah. actually help us. Because I think oftentimes you know, like you, you're a professional public speaker. This is your this is your your profession. This is what you do. This is how you make money. And of course, you coach and do some other things. But a lot of people, that's not what they do. But the speaking can improve any. Uh, career. So help us yeah. understand why and how that how that can work so that we can fit this all together and what to expect. Yeah, I, I didn't start off as a professional public speaker. Like that wasn't my first, you know, my first job. I, I started off, you know, uh, doing marketing things. I was kind of a nerd. <clears throat> and, you know, from an from the earliest age, I can remember one of the things that didn't bug me was getting up in front of people and speaking. So like, you know, if I didn't do the homework and the teacher call happened to call on me, I was not the kid dying inside worried that I was going to look like an idiot because I could kind of improvise and say something, you know, as long as I knew something about the topic. And so it was never, it was never hard for me to get up on stage, <clears throat> but what I did over time, once I got into professional life was I started to notice that many people who were in positions of power didn't want to do that work. Mm-hmm. So first things first, they didn't want to get up on stage. And every time they turned down an opportunity to get up on stage, they were creating an opportunity for a more junior person to say, oh, let me do that. Well, it's important for us, right? We need to do it, so I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And what I was very good at was seeing those opportunities and taking them as they came. So in my first corporate jobs, you know, anytime there was an opportunity to go to a conference or, or speak on something and it was passed up by the um, by management, I was like, sure, I'll do it. Why not? I'm happy to do it. Uh, I'll even fly coach, you know, because it was young and, and back then that was fine. Um, and, you know, and, and so I just I started to do it. And over the course of the first 10 to 10 to let's say 10 to 12 years of my career, it was just something that I was doing as part of the other work that I was doing as part of the marketing guy, you know, as the marketing guy, as the strategy guy, whatever it was. And then I co-founded a company in the video game industry called Trimedia, which was the first really successful um platform for video game distribution it's a weird idea but when we started the company it wasn't possible to legally download a video game and play it so the tech we built was kind of the precursor to steam if if your your listeners are listening to that so so we built this company eventually we sold it for a bunch of money and it was very successful but my co-founders in that venture the ceo of that company alex um who's a brilliant wonderful man he was like i do not want to be out in public I have no interest in being out in public. I don't want to ever speak. And I was like, okay, I'm the sales and marketing guy. I'll do it, right? And so I found myself and I would just started taking every opportunity I got. And you know what I realized really quickly, Jay? This is well before I ever got paid for it. What I realized really quickly was every time I'd get up on stage and say something, 
somebody would buy something from me mm. every single time, mm. even if it was just a meeting, right? I was, I was closing a deal. I was getting a sale. I was getting at least five leads at every speech, no matter how big or small it was for my company that I want to sell. And then eventually it became obvious that I was also getting leads for me because people would come and they'd say, oh, I saw you speak at event A. Uh, you know, Would you like to come and speak at event B? That would be a great topic for you to do. And it started off with panels. And then I, and, and every time I just said, yes, and. Every opportunity that came along, I said, yes, and, yes, and, yes, and. And so over the course of the first 10 or 12 years in my professional life, I did an outsized amount of talks. And I saw a lot of great people and a lot of terrible people do talks. And I did every kind of conference that you can possibly imagine, every kind of talk you can possibly imagine. And it became this massive snowball effect. And so as I, as I tell people, you know, whether I'm coaching them or talking to them about, you know, the work or the philosophy of public speaking, there is no more powerful personal credibility technique that ultimately results in uh, raises, promotions, sales, uh, you know, money being thrown at you one way or the other. There's no more powerful thing than being able to get up on stage. And part of that is because people are definitely afraid of doing it. So they look at you and they just think, you must have a superpower because <laughs> you can get up and talk in front of other people. And I'm, you know, I'll be the first person to tell you, like, it's not a superpower. It's literally just work. Mm -hmm. And anybody can do it. You just have to put the work in. Yeah. You know, Jerry Seinfeld had a uh, humorous line uh, years ago. Uh, you know, in psychology, we have the things that we that cause the most stress, right? The stress mm -hmm. stressors. And it's interesting that people fear public speaking more than they fear dying. And Jerry, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld used to say, so that means it would be better to be in the casket than to do the eulogy, you know, which, which is, yeah. which is often, you know, really, really, really true. Right. Because yeah. there are, there is for a lot of people. And by the way, I, I think we, you and I need to, as people who professionally speak in stage and we've spoke before thousands of people, I think we also need to tell people it's not that we don't feel a little nerves or anxious I, oh. I feel i feel them all yeah. and by the way i'm more frightened if i don't feel them yes right that's right i say that to people too i think i think you're a you're a sociopath <laughs> if you don't feel something when you've been entrusted i mean well okay so i'm not saying you're a sociopath or or anyone's <laughs> no i got it no you're just, good you know yeah okay. yeah yeah i think it's i think it's mildly sociopathic yeah. To be given the opportunity to influence a room full of people who've given you their time. They've given up as 15 minutes or they've given up an hour of their life with open minds. Most of them with open minds are sitting there listening to you, open to hearing what you have to say. You would have to be a sociopath to not care about whether or not they get the message that you invested all that time and energy in, in putting down, to not care whether or not they get any benefit out of the time they've invested in you and the time they've committed to you. So... Professional public speakers, you, you, I think you were getting at this. I'm nervous before every talk. I'm not nervous that I'm going to forget what I have to say. Right, right. I'm only nervous about the audience picking up what I'm putting down. Yep. That's what I care about. Yep. Do they get the value from the time they've given me? That's all I care about. I'm not worried about my performance necessarily. I mean, you know, in that anxious way. No, not in that anxious way. It's it's more about, you know, right. It's more about am I going to deliver something that they're going to connect with? That's, that yeah. is my biggest concern, right? Yeah. Because I've done all the work, right? I, I, I mean, yeah, I get it. So 
let's 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 talk some details. And wait, just one thing okay. I just want to add to that. Sure, go I think ahead. You're you're like onto something really super important. And so when so part of the reason for writing the Aha Method was my observation that many people, and it's no knock on Toastmasters or any other organization, but many of those organizations uh, where people go to try to get over their fear of public speaking, they focus so much on the least relevant details. Right. Like they're really preoccupied with not saying um or ah or, you know, misstating a particular word when that is not the priority. Like the the content and the like authentic delivery of the content is literally the only thing that matters. And like, you know, all these other things, like no audience ever remembers how many ums or ahs you said in a speech. And what they'll remember is whether or not you delivered something that changed their life or not. That's all they remember. So okay, well, okay, that's well, part of what the impetus was here. Yeah, well, let's go there because you do make yeah. you do you do have a section here devoted to you know the traditional way that we teach communication and the traditional way that most people go about working on uh, speaking um, or becoming a better speaker is traditionally you know that we've used education right. I remember the communication class, public speaking class. Yep, everybody sure. remembers that. Yep. And then of course Toastmasters. Yep. And, you know, again, I'm not, again, we're not trying to bash Toastmasters, but there are some weaknesses in the programs that we just have to call out because (laughs) you can, you can pay for, uh, there are professional people out there who command hundreds of thousands of dollars per talk, right? Yep. Yep. I'm not going to mention any names. But they have ums and ahs. Yeah. <laughs> and they're still getting yep. paid $100,000 a talk. Yep. That's right. That's and, right. And so yeah. what happens is, we I've said this about public speaking. Oftentimes, we major on the minors and minor on the majors. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Right. I think it's because it gives people a false sense of control. Mm. My, my take on it is that, you know, when if I can just get rid of the ums, then I, I feel like I'm in control. But I, I'm struck by and I was struck by in, in prior to reading, you know, writing this book in the first place was, you know, going to, for example, like this, uh, you know, doing a TEDx where they had invested a lot of energy in the speakers. There were a lot of uh, not first time speakers, but kind of early stage speakers. And they had been coached by fantastic coaches. And they all sounded the same. Mm-hmm. They got up on stage and they were using the same story structure. They were using the same meter, the same tone, the same pacing. And I was like, okay, well, you're not going to stand out. Like none of these people are going to stand out because what I read as an audience member at the beginning is like not especially authentic. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And you, you look at some of the top rated, you know, you look at some of the top rated talks and many of them are really like, you know, are the, are the most watched talks, the ones that certainly get the most attention, you know, they're, they're at their core about authenticity and about content and not really about polish on any of the other topics. So I include all of those things in the book, you know what I mean? As a, as part of the conversation. Uh, but I don't write like three chapters on how to remove your ums or (laughs) no, like I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, uh, another example. I talk a lot about speaking speed. Yes. Uh book. Um, which, you know, by the way, for everyone listening who did speech and debate, like everything you're doing on the speech and debate stage is bad 
or professional public speaking, like do not speak 250 words a minute. Like I don't, I, when I watch like, when I watch like college or high school speech and debate, I'm like, what are you teaching people to do? Anyway, it's a different story. But so the average, like an average fast, a fast talker talks at about 175 words a minute. So when I, when I tell people, you know, like, what do you, what's important about the speed of talking? Don't speak at 250 words a minute. Right. Um, but other than that, as long as you're modulating your speed appropriately, so it's not all being delivered at one exact speed all the time. So it just sounds like one monotonous flow of words that aren't distinguishable from the other. You are going to be fine. Yeah. Like, you know, so hopefully that gives people a little bit more confidence, but allows them to invest the energy where they need to, which is the content. This is going to be so much fun. I can't wait to, to do the rest of this hour because we're going to have a blast together. I, I just, I could feel it that we got great energy and we got a great spiritual connection going on here. His name is Gabe Zickerman and the book is entitled The Aha Method, uh, Communicating Powerfully in a Time of Distraction. We're just getting started. You're joining us here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, Epic Physical Therapy, my physical therapist, think they should be yours too, by the way. Whether you're recovering from an injury, surgery, suffering from everyday aches and pains, maybe having difficulty performing everyday activities, maybe you're a professional athlete or wannabe athlete who wants to just move and feel better. Listen, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will custom make a program just specifically for you. It is not physical therapy in a box. So when you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, your epic results, don't go any further. Go to epicpt.com. It's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors, listen, for 39 years, for 39 years, they've been helping people all over the world transition in life. Wait, what? What do you mean transition in life? They do real estate, right? Think about it. Every place you ever lived has been a life transition, hasn't it? Right? First apartment, first house, life transition, move up, move down, life transition, right? Well, they know how to take the stress out of that portion of that real estate process, right? So they help people transition in life. So listen, when you're ready to make your next life transition, whether it's sell a house, buy a house, whatever that may be, start with Linda Craft Team Realtors. Right? It's lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with my friend Gabe Zekerman. The book, oh, here it is, The Aha Method, uh, Communicating Powerfully in Time of Distraction. By the way, folks, I said it earlier in the show, it is the most comprehensive guide in uh, public speaking. I don't care if you want to be a public speaker. I don't care if you are a salesperson. I don't care if you are a CEO. You need this book. The details that Gabe has written in this book are going to help you be a better salesperson. They're going to help you connect better with your next meeting. I'm just telling you the details are there. And it's so well written. And he's done such an amazing job. You need to you need to get yourself a copy of this book. Available at Amazon, wherever books are sold. I promise you to do that, that if they're there. All right, so Gabe, there's a basic framework that you start off with here in chapter one, deadlines, iteration, practice, and reviews. And uh, you say in this part, so the best idea for making the concepts of the aha method work for you is to ensure that you're working towards something you actually want to do and would like to deliver. Expand on that uh, for us a little bit as we build out this framework of deadlines, iteration, or dipper whatever we want to call it. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically like at the core, the simple way of thinking about that is I don't think like classroom instruction is the way to learn to be a better speaker. I think do you have to do it. So what I tell everybody, I don't coach a lot of people like my coaching clients are, 
you know, like one of the sharks on Shark Tank and people like that mostly. So I kind of limit my coaching clients to a smaller group of people. But w- with everybody that I do coach in person, um, uh, you know, when, when I do it, I'm always like, okay, well, what talk are we working towards? Mm. And we need to have something, we need to have a stake in the ground that we're building towards uh, because that constraint will actually enable us to be our most creative and our best possible selves. And we're going to have to iterate a ton in order to get from the thoughts and ideas that are in your head to something that's really worthy for whatever stage it is that you're you're planning on uh, performing. So, uh, you know, in the case, in my case, I'm just working a new talk right now. I'm going to go uh, do a new <clears throat> a new TED talk. And, you know, I'm literally, um, you know, I've got the date, I've got the delivery dates, I've got all these dates in my calendar by which I need to deliver um, the talk at various stages of completion. And I am iteratively, and the book talks about this iterative or agile approach, I'm iteratively working towards those delivery ideas, but I have a a stake in the ground, I know, I know what I'm aiming towards. And this is going to be slightly intimidating for most people. But when I've gotten up on stage to give a talk, I have at least done 20 to 30 full length um, versions of that talk out loud before that. And even if it's a talk that I've done before almost in its entirety, I've probably done half a dozen to 10 yeah. practice runs easily of the talk before getting up on there. So you, you like at the very beginning, I like to cut, I like to cut coaching clients out by telling them upfront, like, you're going to have to do 20 versions. You're going to have to do 20 iterations of this if it's a brand new talk, at least. And you'd be surprised how many like high-powered CEOs then walk from the conversation looking for something easier. And it's like, okay, well then, you know, that's not, I, I am team, you got to put the work in. So that's, that's why I set this up at the very beginning. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, as, as you talk, well, because it goes into the importance of process versus structure, which you talk about is because you, you, basically say, no matter how many tips, tricks, hacks I show you, if you aren't willing to do the work, you're going to have difficulty yeah, being excellent point. at public speaking and pitching. And I think yeah. here's the, th- here's the thing, you know, people who are listening to the show may be going or watching the show, by the way, thank you for watching us on DBTV, uh, wherever you're watching us from. Appreciate that. Uh, but I think people are going, okay, well, Gabe, that's fine for a public speaker, but you know what? I'm just a salesperson. You know, I'm just in front. I don't need to be practicing my sales talk over and over again, or I don't need me doing my sales. I'm B two B, and I got to do my sales. Sure. I don't need to be practicing that over and over again. Gabe, my meeting, that meeting that I do every Wednesday, I don't need to be practicing that, man. I don't need to, right? I mean, they've got an agenda. Yeah. Why do I need? And and Gabe says what to that? Well. I'll tell you a story. I raised several million dollars from billionaire Peter Thiel for a startup that I was working on. And prior to going in and raising this money from Peter, and I've, I've raised lots, I've raised lots of money over the years and sold lots of stuff to lots of people. We can read my bio. Um, and before going into this meeting with Peter, I've already, at this point, I've had several startups. I've exited, I've you know, raised a bunch of money. I have a reputation. I've written several books. Like I'm coming in, we're coming in real warm. One of the other partners wants to you know, do the deal. And in preparation for this meeting, we did a session with an external venture capitalist, somebody I'd never met before, who was a total asshole, okay? There's no other way to describe it, sorry for using that language. He was just a jerk, like a big time jerk. And we had the world's most um, awkward, difficult conversation, more difficult than divorce 
and I had a couple of those. So it's it's a hard. It was a tough conversation. And afterwards, once I had an opportunity to calm down, my co-founder, who was new to the process, he was like, "That guy was such a jerk. I can't believe it. Like, why why did they put us through this?" And I was like, "What are you talking about? That was the best thing that ever has ever happened." And he was just absolutely flummoxed by it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, we just got the, we just got the platinum level prep. Okay. We're going in and pitching literally one of the world's wealthiest people, one of the world's smartest, you can argue Peter's got his own stuff, but clearly one of the smartest, most prescient investors, one of the richest people in the world, his imprimatur, his signature on that deal brings us lots of things that we want. I'm going to do everything I can to prepare for that meeting. Now, you might be listening to that and saying, and by the way, raise the money and Peter's amazing in a meeting, by the way, um, comes prepared, very thoughtful, never distracted, which is you can't say for any of your audiences, your audiences will never be as focused as as uh, Peter was in that meeting. But one thing that I'll say is you'll say, okay, well, my meetings are not that big of a deal. I'm not raising that much money, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not that important. And it's like, well, you know, if... Uh, if you phone it in, you'll get the result. You'll get exactly the results mm. for the effort that you put into that um, into that work. So I'm not saying you should prepare for every meeting or every speech at that at the level of going through the the full ringer. Um, like I told you, you know, when I'm doing a new speech, I'm doing 20 to 30 iterations. When I'm doing uh, a speech that I already know, maybe it's half a dozen. But the point is, you know, you go in unprepared. That's at your own peril. You go in phoning it in, it's at your own peril. Like, don't waste opportunities that are being given to you. Treat every single one of them as as categorical. And I know we're going to get to this later in the conversation, but um, I do have this whole chapter about hygiene. Right, yeah, yeah. And talking, right, sleep and eating and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And I'll say it now and we'll, we'll say it again later. In order to be your best at this work, you have to treat those speeches. You've got to treat those meetings. You've got to treat those pitches like they are the most important thing you will do all day. They are the focus, they are the priority. Like when you wedge in a major pitch or speech in between two other like high stress activities, what kind of what kind of energy and priority are you giving it? What are you what are you expecting to get out of that? Not, What's your thought process? You're absolutely like, right. The, the, I, I say this about the show, right? I, I tell people I go, well, first of all, I read every book from cover to cover. That's the that's the first part of the show. Then mm-hmm. I go back through the book again and I take notes from the book that I write down that, that are in front of yep. me right here, right? I've seen your notes, and then, the filing notes. And then, and then I go over those notes and try to pick out for the listening audience what I think is most relevant, but then what I think is might be the most interesting because I have a TV audience, I have a radio audience, yep. and then I have a podcast audience, right? So I And some of them are the same, but some of them are very different. Sure. And I, I tell people... It's an hour show, but I you have to be constantly practicing and working. So even before the show is starting, I am thinking as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking out loud to myself, how am I going to open the show? What am I going to say about this book? What is the opening to the book that I want to do? How do I want to open this up? Because as you say, right, uh, probably the first thing that comes out of your mouth and the last thing that comes out of your mouth, right, which we call primacy and recency effect in psychology, are going to be yep. two of the most important things that you have to say. So first impressions are first impressions. 
you, you, I got my, I got my first impression out high energy, right? Because yeah. I want people, I want you to be energized. I want the people who are listening to the show to be energized and, and you preach this. Yeah. You know, um, I, I call it my like rock star framing mm-hmm. and I use the example, you know, rock stars, people, people like to think of rock stars, I guess as like kind of hedonist, but when you actually like go under the covers and look at really successful live performers in music, they're generally incredibly disciplined and their days are really structured and really rigid while they're on tour. And the reason for that is they want to give the best performance they can and people have paid a lot of money and they need to conserve all of their energy and put all of their energy towards the performance. So like, you know, for Beyonce, every minute of the day from the moment she wakes up on a tour day is tightly scripted and tightly coordinated and managed so that she's able to conserve her energy and be in the best fighting shape she can be for that for that presentation, for that performance, which is you know definitive for the people in the room. Um, and she's already been paid, right? We don't, as public speakers, if you're getting paid, you don't get paid until after. So just saying. <laughs> so, so so you know, she's she's structuring everything that way. And I, I'm like, if you if you want to make the most of this opportunity, you too need to have that perspective about your day. Right. Like you too need to have that perspective about your energy. I see people spending a whole day at a conference, like doing meetings, talking to everyone, and then they've got a 4 p.m. presentation and they roll right from, you know, all day social engagement, lunch, meetings into this presentation at 4 p.m. And you know what? There's a reason why the 4 p.m. slot sucks most of the time at most conferences. And it's not because the audience that's in the room doesn't want to hear a speech. They could be doing anything at four o'clock. They don't have to sit in that room listening to you it's because the speakers generally speaking don't come in with the right energy level so you've got to treat that speech pitcher meeting with the importance that it actually deserves and that means aligning everything um aligning your time around that if you're not willing to do it don't do it but then don't do it like just don't even do it you know yeah i i i think it kind of falls into chapter two is, you know everything you know about communication is wrong <laughs> it's what, uh, is your title right and and mm-hmm. what we're talking about here is the very first subtitle you have in that chapter two and that is every talk is a pitch yep everything and everyone is trying to pitch you or you're trying to pitch them everything absolutely uh, and every interaction with somebody mm-hmm. yeah and so why would we not want to improve our ability our speaking ability it just makes so yeah. much more sense that we would want to go the best way to improve your sales percentage, the best way to improve your ability to communicate to your staff or your team, the best way to have a meeting that actually is functional, improve your speaking ability. And yet, yeah, that's right. And yet we we ignore that. For other things, I know you've seen it because well, you coach. Yeah, it. of course. Yeah, we 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 ignore it for other things because we think other things might be you know more important or equally important. But also, um, you know, when I talk about this in that in chapter two, it's like people are super distracted now, and so part of the other impetus for writing the Aha Method was making sure that speakers and people who are trying to command meetings are conscious of the fact that distraction is now a part of the equation. And so you can't take the audience's long-term attention for granted. And you need to have a frame of reference, a structure for the way that you communicate. 
that assumes that people are not going to be paying attention to you for the total amount of time that they've allocated to listening to you. So you got to start from there. If you start from any other base assumption, mm. you're already you're already off on the wrong foot, right? Right, right? And then the layered in part of that is you've got to you've got to earn their continued attention. So they'll give you some small chunk of attention is given to you as credit just by virtue of the fact that they're there, you're there, you're on a stage or you're you're leading the meeting whatever. You've got a short period of time to hook them, get there, establish that it's going to be valuable, and then you have to consider that during the rest of the time frame that you've got them, they're not going to be able to pay um, equal and continuous attention to you um, throughout that that time period. So if you've got important things that you need to convey, which hopefully you have a handful of key things that you want to say, you've got to consciously think about the attentionality of the audience and deliver that in an attenuated fashion so that they're able to pick up what you're putting down. And you know, we'll we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about this some more. But one of the one of the biggest, most obvious things is, like, um, you know, if you say something really super important and meaningful, this aha moment that I that's in the title of the book, um, you got to give people a few seconds to process that thing that you just said. Mm. And people will say something really super important and meaningful, and then immediately follow with another important and meaningful thing, like two seconds later. And it's like, whoa people in the room are still trying to process that amazing thing that you said. So frankly, you've got to kind of fill some time. This is when really good speakers, by the way, when they repeat themselves, they say the same thing and they say it three times in a row. They're doing several things by doing that. But one of the things they're doing is buying a little bit of time while you process the thing that they said the first time. So like, it's, you know, it's like all of this kind of stuff. Like, I think it's just the, the era of, you know, what it used to be like when we were kids and we had to sit in a room and listen to a teacher for an hour. Like nobody does that anymore. And frankly, we didn't do that because we were doodling in our notebooks and passing notes and, you know, <laughs> drifting off to sleep or whatever we were doing. So it's all like a mythology, right? Nobody ever, I don't think anybody ever could sit there for an hour with full rapt attention in the past, but certainly we're not doing that now. Um, we're going to take a quick early break and then we'll come right back. His name is Gabe Zickerman. Uh, the book entitled the aha method. (laughs) I would see how many different ways I could do that. Uh, communicating, communicating powerfully in a time I didn't even do communicating very well there. Communicating powerfully in a time of distraction. The book is fantastic. It is the most comprehensive guide when it comes to improving your career. And, and that's going to come through speaking. Uh, you're joining us here on a new direction. Hey, folks, listen, Epic Physical Therapy. I want to tell you something. They offer the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment, including the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill. Try saying that three times fast. The Norma Tech compression sleeves and the Game Ready. That's my favorite. Ice compression all at the same time. Ooh, that's just a few. Listen, they're trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available. Blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping. That's just a few. Listen. If you want your epic relief, you want your epic recovery, you want your epic results, look no further. Go to epicpt.com. It's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors from, for 39 years, right? They uh, are known as the legends of customer service. But I want to tell you something. The legends of customer service right now are hiring new agents. So if you're in the Research Triangle Park area or you're planning on moving into the Research Triangle Park area and you say, hey, I'm a real estate agent. I'm looking for a place to hang my license. Talk to the folks at Linda Craft Team Realtors. I am telling you, it is independently owned and operated. They're unaffiliated. 
with any national brand, which is why they know the best agents all over the world. And here's the other thing, right? No desk fees, none, zero, no desk fees. So why not, if you're looking, if you're in real estate and you're looking for a new real estate home, check out Linda Craft Team Realtors. That's lindacraft.com, L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with my friend, Gabe Zekerman. Um, by the way, just kind of has a singy, songy voice. Uh, communicating powerfully, the aha method, uh, communicating powerfully in a time of distraction. Uh, we, we didn't get very far into this book, uh, but we're here in the last segment anyway. We're just going to do it. Uh, chapter three, aha, the behavioral science of modern communication. Um and you, you open up with something, I love psychology because it, you know, it's my master's and doctor work is in. Uh, the feeling that you have when the hair stands up on the back of your neck in response to something you've heard is your peak of intellectual emotional arousal, high state of vibration, high enough that it manifests in your body physically. Yeah. Right? So the best speakers you say know intuitively or through aha, method training, how to include the right number of these points of arousal and a talk in a meeting or pitch. So let's talk about the aha method and training when it comes to these moments. And I think you're probably going to dig into the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. Maybe, maybe it won't. Um, but um, I think it all kind of fits together. So help us understand that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So I think one of the most fascinating things about people, so all animals have that, um, you know, sympathetic reaction when threatened or something occurs, right? Um, you've seen your dog's hair stand up on the back of back of its body, right, or the cat. Um, and so it's cutely called piloerection. And so one of, one of the things that I, you know, thought about when I, when I was ruminating on, like, the talks that have most influenced me or even just the conversations that have most influenced me, the thing that I realized as I was thinking about this was, you know, I may not remember many details. I'm getting old and, you know, memory spotty in all kinds of ways. But those moments where something really lands with me, like when someone says something that really clicks into the lock, you know what I mean? Where the, where the puzzle pieces just fit together, that produces a physical reaction in my body. And I, I was not always conscious of that physical reaction, but it definitely does. And one of the most fascinating things about people is that um, because we have language, that same kind of fight response, you know, fight or flight response that happens in animals in response to threats also happens in us just from language. So even when we're not, you know, actually being threatened by something or even when we're not, you know, being engaged in that particular way. And it's so powerful. And it's so powerful that you know, I think what you really need to do as a speaker and as a communicator is think about how you deploy that power appropriately. And so just, you know, in the book, I've got this great chart about the aha moments of arousal and what they mean. And basically, in a nutshell, uh, you know, you can you can see the chart on the website or in the book. In a nutshell, you can't really do more than a couple to three of those in a 30-minute period. You cannot give people six aha moments in a 30-minute period. It's just too many. You can give them two or three. They need to be spaced out appropriately with enough time between them in order to uh, to give people moments to reflect. And especially if you want them to write things down or tweet them out, you definitely need to leave enough time uh, for people to listen, absorb, process, write, and tweet. Like you, So you've just got to think about what your goals and objectives are there, but you definitely need to give them enough time. And 
that, you know, ultimately, uh, like you said, you know, with the, with the start and the end of the talk, you are attempting to, um, you know, leave them with a few things that they're really going to remember. And those moments plus a certain end are the things that they're going to remember. And so to the sympathetic, parasympathetic, right, that the refractory period that happens after the, um, you know, after the peak of arousal is that period of time where people settle back in and they're able to rest and digest what you said. So it's very, it's very similar to that sort of, sort of thing. And I'm, I'm fascinated by it and I love it. And when I develop talks uh, and what I encourage people to do when they're developing talks is to explicitly lay out the two or three things that they're probably like high points in emotional delivery and, you know, design around those. It's interesting that you say, because you, you, you do talk about the power of three, um, which is, is really, by, by the way, um, I'm an old radio, old time radio fan. Okay. I love classic radio and I love the old detective shows. Mm. And it's interesting there was always three possible people who could have committed the crime. No more, generally no more yeah. than three. There's always only, there's yeah. only three, right? There's only yeah. three possibilities. It's, it's interesting, the power of three, um, which I just found interesting. I want to take this aha moment though, something that you say in a meeting and you say this to use aha moments in the meeting, you need to do three key things. Think in advance about the goals and objectives, possible objections and issues you may face during the meeting. Plan a couple of additional aha moments to support your point that you can pull out of your hat whenever you need it. Closely mm -hmm. listen to the participants' ahas so you can capture the energy and reinforce what is said. And I think what's important here that I pulled out of this, because you know we have so many business people, CEOs and entrepreneurs that listen to the show, and C-suite professionals and salespeople. I, I think what I, I want them to understand is Please, please, please listen to what Gabe is saying. Prepare, prepare, and practice, and practice. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how small the meeting is or how small the engagement is. It's too dang important. Can I overemphasize that enough? No, I think you've got it. I think you got it <laughs> down pretty well. But but actually, it will, I will say one other thing about meetings, which can get lost in there, okay? Yeah. So if... There's not going to be some moment of revelation, not revelation, but like an aha moment or some moment of, uh, you know, that's, that's like really life changing, mm -hmm. even if it's small in that meeting, like, why are we having the meeting in the first place? What is, what is its, you know, kind of raison d'etre? What is its purpose and why are we doing it? So one thing that I always want to encourage, even if you don't think you've got something like that, if you're an executive or a leader, you've probably got a list of things running in the back of your head that you'd really love the organization to kind of get to work on, do better at, uh, see about the future, you know, engage around or be with. Have that list at the ready. So if you're, you know, in every meeting that you do, regardless of even if it's just a status uh, kind of meeting, regular sort of status meeting, that you've always got something that you can kind of pull out and engage people with that's going to be a little bit more interesting and worthwhile. And by the way, if you do that a few times, just kind of um, unexpectedly, so not to make every meeting super heavy, but you've always got kind of, you if you pull out uh, something interesting every once in a while, your meetings, you'll be leveraging operant conditioning in your meetings, which is the same thing that makes uh, casino slot machines so compelling, which is that you're never sure when you're going to get a payout and how big the payout's going to be. So 
by having something that you can occasionally drop into a meeting that's really cool or fun or or different or dynamic, um, you will eventually train your meeting participants that there might be an Easter egg or there might be an aha moment in that meeting and make them more likely to show up to participate and to be engaged if that if there's a variable reward in there. Mm, it's beautiful. Yeah, th- thank you for bringing that up because it's really, really true. Interval scheduling, um, especially for random interval scheduling, is absolutely the most powerful. Um, it's why we are addicted random to random fun. Yeah, it's it's why it's um, why it's why it's so awesome um, for us because we get addicted to it. Um, it's why we like to go fishing, even though it's really not fishing. It's it, it's not catching. It's fishing. It's a whole different thing. It's the reason why we do those things because. We know it's going to happen. We're just not sure when, which makes us keep coming back for more. Um, you hit list a number. By the way, I loved, I just wanted to say how much, first of all, I love the whole book, but I really love this section of cognitive biases. Oh, yeah, and, I know you would. And uh, the, 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 the part that I loved best about the way you set this up is not only tell us what the bias is, but then you tell us how to use it and how to put it into a talk, and which is just brilliantly done, by the way. Um, I just, I just loved what you did there. Uh, is there, I think, first of all, people, when they think of biases, we think of it negative often and it can be, yeah. but we're, you're using, yeah, we have these biases. It's just a reality of what it is. We have these biases and let's take advantage of them as, as a public speaker or when we're speaking, cause you can, yep. is there one or two that you go, oh man, this, these two are my favorite or this one's my favorite. Yeah. Okay. So most important one in persuasion, I always think is anchoring. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now anchoring is anchoring bias is very, very important. And so the simple definition, the one I use in the book is you walk into a store, you see the price on an item. It says the regular price is $50 today. It's discounted by 50%. So it's only $25. You're like, wow, that's a great deal. Right. If the normal price is always like 2750, then uh, you know, I've managed to pull one over on you, right? I anchored you. Anchoring is being attached to the first thing that you see and then comparing everything else against it. I anchored you to $50 because that was the first price that you saw. And I said, that's the normal price. So then you're going to compare everything I tell you based on the anchor from the first, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that I tell you. So when preparing something that's persuasive, you and especially when you're using stats or numbers, you're trying to show like a set of data in a particular way, you need to think about how you anchor that data so that you're really presenting in the most interesting light. So I'll just give you an example from something that I'm working on right now. So 15% of um, US adult, adult males in the United States say that they have no close friends. Now that's a terrible, terrible number, but also in and of itself, it's kind of like, well, is 15% that big? Like we know lots of loners, like, okay, 15% is kind of bad. Now I'm going to tell you that that number has grown by 500% in the last generation. Mm. So when I tell you the story in that way, it's 15%. You go, eh. And then I tell you it grew by 500%. Um, now you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's a lot, no matter what that, what that number is mm-hmm. in that structure. And then I'm going to tell you the number is twice as large for people under 30. Mm. Those are all true. By the way, mm, I just said. Mm, mm, mm. so now people under 30 men under 30 it's almost twice as many people say they don't have a single close friend mm. in order to make those numbers make sense i have to give them to you in a particular order by starting with the 15 percent number mm. 
I have to begin with the 15% number. Because if I begin with the 30% number for men under 30, then I have trouble going back and telling you the 15% right, number right. for all men, because now that seems like, oh, that's actually okay. We've clearly got a problem with young people, but actually I want to convey to you that we have a problem with all men and their friendships in the United States right. that has been getting bigger. That's what I'm trying to say. So I've carefully chosen how I'm going to roll those statistics out in such a way that I've anchored you in one place and then I'm going to shock you twice right. from that initial anchor. Which are some ahas, right? right? Because those are going to be yeah, some right, ahas. Exactly. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But they're only interesting in comparison to that initial number. So I've got to kind of, you think about it in kind of a chess way. I'm, right. I have to throw away one of that 15% number to your own internal mental right. model of is that big or small? And then I'm going to explain to you that's actually a big problem. Right. So I think anchoring, you know, anchoring is sort of, is super, super important. And, you know, something that, um, that I think everybody, uh, you know, that I think everybody is engaged with. And then I think if you're a professional park public speaker, so this is someone who's getting paid to do public speaking, probably the most important other one is the optimism bias, right? Yeah. Which is generally speaking, uh, you know, I think generally speaking, this sounds kind of pat, but usually in public speaking, even if you're not a motivational speaker, so even if you're speaking on a topic, um, you know, or, or an area of interest, people really do want an optimistic frame yes. for the ending. Yep. And they're looking for that optimism from you. Right. So you can get dark in the middle. You can get real dark yeah. and you can go through all the kind of, you know, sort of difficult kind of things, but you want to at some point before the end of your talk, you want to pivot and really latch into people's bias towards optimism and hook into it and, and pivot in that sort of direction because they will prefer that and they will think better of you and you will get better ratings for your talk and you will be more likely to ask, be asked back if no matter what the topic is, you've given people some kind of optimistic you know, vision for the future. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. We've done an hour Amazing. <laughs> it's gone so fast. We're really amazing, Jay. It's, you and I. Yes, it, it, it's, it's gone so fast, man. It really has. It's gone yeah, really, really fast. Yeah. Um, your book is uh, The AHA Method, uh, Community Powerfully in Time of Distraction. If people want to get a hold of you, how should they do that, especially if they want to hire you to speak or they got more questions maybe? Uh, how, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. It's super easy to find me because I'm like the only Gabe Zickerman anywhere. Um, so it literally in your social media platform of choice, whichever one you want, Gabe space Z I, and you will literally find me anywhere. But if you want to come to my website, Gabe Zickerman.com, G A B E Z I C H E R M A N N.com. And you'll, I swear to God, if you just type the first like seven letters of my name, you'll find me. That's, awesome. That's awesome. You were great. Stay with me. Hey folks, it's the show. You know, what I say to you every week, right? You know what? You're in control of three things, your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. You know, I know that life can be tough. I know it can be dark at times, but you know what? The truth of the matter is those are three things you can always control. Your attitude, your effort, and that's your excellence, and your resiliency, and that's if you can choose to get back up again. We all get knocked down, but you make the choice of whether you're going to get up. Do it, because you're in control. Do it now. I'll be back next week with another great guest. It's going to be another great book. It's going to be another great show. As I say to you all over the world, you had a lot of choices. You chose us. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Give us a positive thumbs up on YouTube. Give us a positive review wherever you listen to the show or watch it. As I say to you all over, you know what that is. Ciao, everybody. Hey, before you go, 
the show's not over. We actually did a few more minutes with Gabe Zickerman and me and talking about some other topics when it comes to public speaking that might be fun for you to listen to. So stay tuned because there's a little more show left to go. Politicians, mm-hmm. but also people in super regulated businesses like pharma and healthcare, they do actually need to work from a script for various reasons because right. every word they say is scrutinized to the nth degree and they've got to like really navigate exactly what they're saying. Sure. And I, I super get that and I totally understand it. But for everybody else, it's like um, it literally that's such a small subset of people. Yeah. And they're not the people like who need, you know, who really need this work the most. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a that was a very funny Jay. You should tell that story, by the way. That's very funny. <laughs> I just I like that a lot. Yeah, I I, I remember t- she just looked at me. She goes, you know what, you're right. She said, I don't bring notes to my job. <laughs> yeah. So I said, yeah. She goes, you're absolutely right. She goes, you know what? I'm so used. She said, you know, typically with people we bring are not professional speakers. They're typically somebody else yeah. who comes in and they always have their notes. She said, you know, we've never had anybody who professionally speaks. So she said it would make complete sense that you wouldn't have them with you. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, I'm more, I said, I'm more concerned about, you know, if my gown is on, right. I said, that's more of my concern. I said, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I said, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to make this fun. We didn't talk about it. I was going to ask you this question, though, because I think it's so fascinating to me. The fourth wall. Um, It's kind of an, it's an interesting dilemma. I I find it to be in a dilemma a little bit. Because if I'm in a smaller group, I don't mind breaking the fourth wall. Right? Yeah, sure. If I'm a small group. If it's, if I'm speaking to, let's say, hundreds or a thousand plus people in an audience, which I've mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. then I want to kind of protect that fourth wall. Yeah, for sure. A little bit more. The audience doesn't want you to break it in that setting. That's yeah. the other thing. They, they want the expert. They, that's right. why they're there. Like they, they want you to give them yeah. the, you know, authentic, but polished right. story. Yeah. I, I do remember breaking it one time I was in uh, Arizona. I was in Tempe, I think. Um, and, uh, Tempe Scottsdale. And, uh, I remember there was, what happened was I was speaking at a real estate conference. There was a thousand people in the audience. And there was this guy, as I was getting ready to do the talk, there was this guy wandering around back there, this older guy. And I was just, he just kind of was wandering around out there. And I said, um, Hey, sir, I said, can I help you? And he goes, oh, he goes, no, no, no. He said, I'm just trying to figure out what to do. He said, you know, my wife's at this real estate conference. And and uh, she said, you know, so he said, I'm just, you know, he goes, you know, she wants to be part of, wants to be part of the real estate conference, wants to be part of real estate. She goes, he goes, you know, I retired. I don't, you know, I don't know what I want to do. And so I left and I'm getting ready to go up on stage and I asked, I asked the guy, I said, what was your wife's name? He said, Sally Jones, whatever her name was. I said, okay. So I'm getting up on stage. I get introduced um, by the director of this conference. I'm getting up there to do the stage. And I, I said, is Sally Jones in the audience? <laughs> and she said, yeah, it's me. And she was sitting about the fourth row, fifth row back. I said, Sally, I was before I came up on stage, I saw this man wandering aimlessly around the hallways of this hotel. I said, 
he claims that he's your husband and that you want him to come into real estate. Sally, for God's sake, leave the man alone, please. <laughs> he's retired. And I That's did break crazy. that. And of course, the whole audience burst out laughing, you know, at That's that, in, at the story. Um, but that is, that is one time when I just, I, I did break that fourth wall, but I had no problem bringing it back together, you know, Yeah. but yeah. it was, humor is another thing, Gabe. Yeah. I'm, I'm a guy who loves humor. Yeah. yeah you're funny. But not everybody's funny. Right. Yeah. See, that's like, hate, right. Yeah. Right. I hate that they try to, I hate that they, that was the other thing that drove me to write this book. It was really like stuck in my craw, you know, um, Toastmasters and the whole like, you know, Dale Carnegie kind of world of like insisting that people try to be funny or master humor as part of the process of being a good speaker. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? A lot of speakers are good at humor and, and people do appreciate humor and humor is very powerful. And if you're, you know, if you're naturally funny or you like to be funny, great. You should totally do that and bring humor into the into the mix. Right. If you're not that person, if you're some like severe, you know, scientist, I, I work with lots of people like that. Your like world is like science or whatever, or that's not your character, or not your personality. Like, why why waste your time with humor? Yeah. Like if you go if you go through the top ten most watched speeches online, not all of them have any humor. No, many no. of them do not. Yeah, it's an yeah, I think I, I agreed with you when you wrote about humor because I think it's something that, A, it has to be a natural part of your authenticity because, as you point out, yeah. if you if we're not being authentic, w- there's no way that you're going to be successful at, yeah. in whatever. I, I don't care what you're doing, whether you're speaking professionally, whether you're pitching something or whether you're a sales meeting or whether you're doing a meeting. Yeah. yeah. W- without authenticity, you're done. For me, humor is a natural part of it. You yeah, know, you're funny. Quick wit. I, I and mm-hmm. I and so I, I I do find humor to be important for me. But I I think for a lot of people, you cannot try to do something that you're not. Yeah, right. That's right. Right. And something that's not on brand for you. Mm. Like like for a good example of that is Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Simon's actually Simon is witty and funny in real life. He can be. Mm-hmm. He's not that on stage. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that. That's not his shtick. When you get him like cracking a joke, that's like pretty unusual. Super successful guy who does not rely on humor at all. Mm. Like not part of his brand. Uh, although he comes you know? off so quirky, funny that because yeah. of his because of his scientific styled brain, his very yeah. L- yeah. left left brain, right, and how he yeah. engages that right side of the brain, he can present something in such a way. In all seriousness, and it comes off very funny. Yes, but it's it's really coming from a different place. Right, it's a way it's different. Really it's not intention. Yeah. I don't think it's intention. Yeah. I think it's the yeah. absurdity that he sees, yeah. and because of his mind and his presentation style, the absurdity yeah. comes through so much that this geeky guy just did something really, really funny. Is yeah, is how it comes right. out, yeah. which is which. Yeah. By the way, is is brilliant because he never yeah, compromises right. who he is. Yeah, in, in yeah, any it's just not inherently. It's it's not inherently required. So that I think that's also like breaking down some of those walls mm-hmm. and letting people who feel like they're not funny or not charming or not, mm-hmm. you know, not even naturally um, engaging. Because mm-hmm. there's lots of people who are not naturally engaging. Like they're not, you know, people that you. I I think it helps you mm-hmm. to be 
it, it, charisma helps you. And I, I talked about charisma too. Mm-hmm. I think it's valuable. Mm-hmm. I think charisma helps you, but even charisma is something that you can develop and, and train on. So it's like, I don't, I, I think it's, it's open to everyone and I really would love it if more people got better at it. Okay. I, I, I've been criticized for this, uh, in speaking. I w- I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Tell me. Honestly. So I like to leave room in my talks talks for this just in. And what I mean okay. by that is that sometimes I'm on stage and of course I know my material so well. I'm, I'm on stage and something hits me out of nowhere. I go, Oh, that's so much better than what I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm looking at the audience, I'm seeing something that's resonated and there's something that just pops on there and I call it this just in. And I will use it, and it always it's always worked for me, right? I, and I have been criticized for going, well, you deviated from your script. And I'm like, oh, well, it's really not a script. Okay, first of all, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I, yes, I memorize the speech. Yes, I have, this, I have this outline in my head. I know exactly what every slide is going to do. I know exactly every timing on every slide. I can do it without ever looking in it. And if I don't have the slides, I don't really care. Um, but... Sometimes there's just just a stand. I'd love to get your thoughts on this just in. I love it. I would love to see how you do that. I I, I generally like um I think my talks for me, my talks are uh fluid until a day before. And then I really do try to lock it in. Like I really do try to commit, commit, you yeah. know, at twenty four to forty eight hours before. Um, and depending on, you know, whether I'm traveling or what, um, you know, maybe longer. So I try to leave like some space in there, but I love the idea of being able to just like drop something in that's really current. I'd love to see it. If there's like a video of that, send it over to me. I'd love to see how you do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened more times than not where I will be speaking and this idea popped into my head and it could be a phrasing that I used because like when I did the speech for uh, the graduation ceremony, mm-hmm. I remember I rephrased the, um, what I did was I changed in my head while I was up there in the podium. I, I, I used the quote, it's not how hard you hit, but how hard you can be hit and still keep going. Mm-hmm. And what occurred to me was, while I was there on stage, was, it, of course, it comes from Sylvester Stallone, and I said, and I said, um, before I gave the quote, I said, and it popped in my head, and I went, and here's a quote from one of my favorite philosophers in the world. And I give the quote, and then I say Sylvester Stallone, right? Uh-huh. Because it just yeah. it just popped in my head that okay, I'm going to make him a philosopher out of nowhere. I'm going to make him this that's funny big philosopher is what I did. And of course, it wound up being very funny, and it wound up working, and yeah, the funny. the audience you know the audience loved it, and the parents loved it, and those type of things. So it wound mm-hmm. up being, um, but I I don't know I don't know how that fits. But sometimes there's been those moments, and it happens quite frequently. And I wonder too. Because you and I, I think, come from a little bit of an extemporaneous speech background. Yeah, definitely. I did because I, I when I was in high school, I was an extemporaneous speaker, and 
to my detriment won, you know, districts and regionals and whatever. And, and of course, at that time, I'm older than you, but at that time, uh, you know, we didn't have Google or anything like that. They gave us a stack of magazines and you had right. 20 minutes to yep. prepare a three to five minute speech out of nowhere, out of nothing. And you didn't know yep. what the topic was. You were just going to get a topic and then you had to go from it. Do it. Yeah. And I, I love that pressure. I, I just, Same. yeah, I just loved that. And I, and I, I always loved that improv. And I feel like sometimes with that stage thing up on stage is looking for that improvisational thing that might come up. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I totally get that. I think, I think it's like, yeah, it's a lot of fun, right? I think it's, yeah. it's, um, you know, for, for what it's worth, like I have done lots of, um, extemporaneous things actually, even as an adult, mm-hmm. um, you know, which have been a lot of fun and there's a lot of ways to get that out. Like if you've ever been to the moth or mm-hmm. moth live, um, which is like a storytelling event, it's a very popular podcast as well, but they do live storytelling events in various places around the country. Are you in RTP? Yeah, I'm in the RTP. I'm in Raleigh. Okay. Uh-huh. So, um, so, uh, so they're like, I'm sure they come around a couple times a year and basically like you put your name in a hat and they've got a topic that's published in advance. You put your name in a hat and then they might call on you and you get up and you do like six minutes on that oh, wow. topic, whatever that topic is. Oh, that'd be fun. So yeah. And it's, it's storytelling. It's not speeching, right? right, right storytelling, right. but it's similar. So there's various ways to get that. And I've done, I've done several, there's also that Pecha Kucha thing. I don't, um, I don't that. which is super that that's there's probably some group doing that near you where it's basically like you have a um you create a deck the deck advances every 15 seconds or every 20 seconds and it's like a six minute six minute speech and people do it with you either do it pre-structured you do improv where you don't know what's in the slides <laughs> and they just start going um, and you have to kind of like, you have to kind of do it or sometimes people do it as like, um, two people, like you, you go back and so there's like a 12 decks, 12 slides, you've never seen them. And so you and I get up there and slide one goes and I'll do like 30 seconds and then the slide will change and you'll keep going. There's lots of different like ways to get that kind of energy out. I think, I think in general for like a, like a paid talk, especially a big paid talk, I'm actually like pretty comfortable with, um, pretty comfortable with like locking it in and kind of doing yeah and then q and a i love q and a so if yeah yeah, yeah. Opportunity, Q&A, I will, all day long yeah like you know i'll sit there and talk to people about it all day long i know? thought an interesting term that but, you used caught me off guard was the word hygiene that we didn't get to it mm-hmm. in, yeah, we didn't get to it. in the show but the word hygiene but feel free to use any of this if it's recorded if you want yeah no i'm recording i'm just recording because yeah. we're I, I, I think this i think this is fascinating stuff and i think people are going to enjoy it but you use the term hygiene, mm-hmm. and of course, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to underestimate, you know, brushing your teeth and you know, making sure you're showered and those type of things. Mm-hmm. But that's not yeah. what you're really referring to when it comes to speaking hygiene. No, what I mean by that is actually, but the reason why I use hygiene is very specifically um, because, in a sense, I do mean something like that, which is if you think about the speech as the main event. So the speech is the the focus of the day. The speech is your date, right? 
and you're hoping that the date turns out in the most positive way, you will do everything in advance to make sure that should the date turn into something, right, that's going to be like, should you be an opportunity to have sex with your date, basically, you're going to make sure that all your T's are crossed and all your I's are dotted. You have taken the shower, you've brushed the teeth, you've timed everything, your apartment's clean. Like, you know, you you may be even ordering differently at the restaurant. Like you, you have thought this through in advance. Mm. I want people to do that for the speech. Mm. I got it. I yep. want you to be like, I want you to treat that like it's the hottest date you've been on in three years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just hoping it goes, it goes all the way. Uh, so I got that's you. Why, that's why I talk about it in, in terms of hygiene, because I think it's kind of like, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you want to create the most hygienic atmosphere for that speech to be successful. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I talk about it in the book, but like when I'm, when I'm asked to speak at a conference, at an event, I never, ever, ever, ever agree to do anything ever prior to the yeah. talk. Yeah. Ever. I I don't even appear. I stay hidden at the event. M- most most out. most speakers that I've ever seen who do keynotes, you yeah. never see them prior to. You, you shouldn't. Until like just a few minutes before they're headed yeah. back to the wings. I, yeah. I I am one like even for this show, I I want to take a nap. I yeah. like I like to take a nap before. Yeah, I, I support that. I, I <laughs> yeah, I support it. Hundred <laughs> percent. No, you should, and you shouldn't see the speaker beforehand because yeah. it's like, just like a performer, you know, yeah. any kind of performance, like they're, you know, they're, you know, you want to be that kind of main event. And then afterwards, yeah. I'm fully accessible. Although after I, my talk. Yeah, I, I am too. But the problem is, and I think you talk about this a little bit though, is that I am so exhausted and drained Yeah. by the end of a big talk. That yeah. I know I got to make myself available because if I'm doing a book signing, you know, because you've done it, right? You got to yeah. do a book signing yeah. and you got to keep the energy up and everything like that. But, and, or you got to do a Q&A or maybe you got to go onto a panel or, and do an additional Q&A. Or do you, they sit you off because like, it's a private, right? They, you know, people who've paid extra money want to have you privately. Yeah. And so now they want a private yeah. consultation. You know, whatever the case may be. But I am mentally, emotionally pretty much I've left it out. I've left it up there on the stage. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. The secret to that is, um, eating something sweet. Oh yeah. Cause your sugar loves are dropped. Yeah. 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 You just have to have something like if it's a big conference, I'll, depending on where I sit in the, the order of the sequence, Yeah. I'll make sure that there's something like really carby, um, mm. available for me. Right. Right. As I finish. Yeah. And I grab a chocolate bar or a muffin, something like that, and smart. then, and then you you'll get the energy back that you need. That's smart. Yeah, that's that's good because I have to tell you, caffeine doesn't do it. Because you talked about in the book, it takes yeah. thirty minutes before yeah. it really gets yeah, into your right. into your system. Slam back a couple. I used to do that. I used to do that. I would like slam a cup of coffee, right, and then walk up on stage. And <laughs> by the time you get to the end of the talk, if any of those are on video, I literally sound like a meth head. <laughs> the last the last like five minutes of my talk i'm going 100 miles an hour because the coffee's all hitting everything's hitting at once right 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 um not a good idea 
Yeah. Not needed. The adrenaline should be sufficient. Okay. So here's another one that I, I have a little bit of a debate. So I have a debate with myself on this and I know it's debated in, you know, like people in the NSA, you know, national speakers association and other associations when it comes to professional speakers. And that is, are people born more natural to, to speak or is it mm. developed? Is it is it a talent, or is it is it something that can be developed? I have an answer. I want to hear yours. I have an answer. I'll give you my answer after after you give me yours. I mean, I would say, I would say it's like from my view, it's kind of like it's like a max min function. Mm. There's like a lane, right? So within yeah. a given lane, there's a wide range of possible inherent um, inclinations and and like just inherent skill within that lane that can be turned into uh being like a good speaker if you're outside that that lane probably would be very difficult to do okay and i'm going to use i'm going to say both and i'll I'll tell you why i say both because i think it's kind of interesting i think first of all when i look back at my natural talents gifts and abilities from the time i was a small child there was never a stage that was too small or too big for me Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be in front of the stage. I believe this about you. I, I, I seriously, I wanted to be in the stage. I wanted to be on the stage. I was, I would, I would, I would get my friends to follow little scripts that I had written that we were going to do a magic show. When I lived in a town of 119 people in Nebraska, so mm-hmm. as part of the Jewish Witness Protection Program. And so, um, <laughs> they'll never find you. There. <laughs> they'll never find a Jew there. Uh, so never they'll never find us there. So, uh, we, so, but I would get my friends and we would, and I get them to, we do a little magic show and, and I would be the MC of the magic show or, um, my teachers would give me the freeway to write a peanuts little script, you know, and I would talk them into being Snoopy and Lucy and something like that. And, we would we would do the script. Since the time I was small, I loved that being on stage piece. And it's just always something that I've always loved forever. And my mom said that I made an announcement to the world when I was born because I was born breech birth. So I, I made my announcement that way so that everybody could absolutely see uh, uh, my smile immediately um, out of the shoot. So... I, I believe that there is some natural that people are just it's something natural that they can do. But I also know that there is a skill set to this. It's a it is a specific set of skills. And if you can develop those skills, you could be quite accomplished at this and be amazingly yeah. successful. So yeah. that's that's where I stand on that. I, I think it's I don't know why we're afraid of both. Right, I, I think sometimes we're afraid to say both, but it's kind of like going, okay, you know what? Some people can dunk a basketball, some people can't. Right? You were given you were given an ability to dunk a basketball. Is anybody really upset about that? Not really, right? Yeah. Not really. Yeah, you can you can develop your jumping ability. Maybe you will be able to dunk a basketball. You know, maybe not at 93 years of age, but you know, if you're young enough, maybe you can. Right. Sure. That that's kind of where I fall on this. Yeah, I get that. I I support that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, 
And I, I'll say, Jay, it's been really great to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. I hope we get to do it again. I would love to. If, you, if you're uh, open to, yeah. if you're open to it, it'd be great. I'd love sure, to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me know. Yeah, this has been great. I love the book. You can find the strength to go a different way, yeah. The time has come. Your dreams will take you places you have never been before. Find your passion, find your strength Don't worry anymore A new direction A new direction A new direction A brand new day Things are gone